1: Welcome back to the Rotowire DFS Podcast MMA Edition. Here with me, John Littering, the MMA editor here for Rotowire.com. Back with his UFC 193 preview here. Uh, we're out in Melbourne, Australia to talk about this card. Big uh, fights on this card, John. How are you feeling about uh, what we have to break down overall coming this Saturday? I like
2: it. Um, every t- Anytime you get a card that has you know two title fights, that's always a good thing. And like you said, it's an um, outdoor event in Melbourne. Um, they're hoping to set a new attendance record, and anytime you get an event that has that many fans, it you know it just seems to make the event that much better.
1: Yeah, and you know what? It's interesting that they bumped up Rousey uh, for this fight and sort of you know, pushed her into another undefeated fighter in Holly Holm, who we'll talk about here in a few moments. We have some very strong opinions about this uh, fight overall. But before we do that, let's go ahead and brag down uh, what you need to do on DraftKings.com in order to get uh, your MMA lineup set. So you get a $50,000 budget, uh, you got to select five fighters, and the scoring is distributed as follows. For uh, significant strikes, you get half a point, advancing is one point, takedown is two points, Versal or sweeping. Is also two points and a knockdown is three points. If you end the fight early, the first round win is worth an extra 100 points, second round win 70, third round win uh, 50 fourth round and 40 points and then fifth round win 40 points as well with a decision just coming at a lowly 25 points. So significant strikes count as any distance strike or clinch or ground strike that is considered a power strike by the official scores and advances include um, basically everything you can do on the ground all onto half guard, to side control, to mount or to back control. Now on to the fights here and the main event card will start here first. Ron Razi the best fighter, male or female in my mind, uh, pound for pound in the world. 12 and 0 versus the also undefeated high. Holly Holm which to me is a little bit of an empty uh 9 and 0. John, I think you'll agree with me here because um, the majority of those fights did not come in the UFC. Randy sl- uh R- Rousey slated at 11.4k in terms of salary and a paltry uh 8k for Holly Holm. Um you know what this is and Vegas has got this one as a tight one. John here, just minus 1900 for Rousey versus uh Holly Holm as a plus uh 1200. So uh your thoughts on this uh championship uh fight?
2: Uh my thoughts are probably pretty much what everybody else's (laughs) thoughts are. Yeah.
1: Somebody's going to file a police report and it's not going to be Ronda Rousey when it's over.
2: No, it's not. It's not. And, you know, in theory, if you told me that home could turn this into a straight up kickboxing match, Mm -hmm. um, I still don't, she's, I still don't think I would pick her to win, Mm -hmm. but I might pick her to get out of the first round. Sure, But, We all know that Rousey is going to, the second the bell rings, she's going to go across the cage. Mm -hmm. She's going to wrap her up and she's going to throw her to the ground. Right. And um, as I wrote, you know, Holm is uh, based out of Albuquerque. She's trained by Greg Jackson, who is, you know, arguably the best, if not, he's certainly one of the best trainers in in the game. Right. And um, this fight was originally supposed to take place in early January. I think it's January 2nd. Mm Mm-hmm. And the UFC, you know, pushed, moved it back to this event. So, in theory, it cost home, what, about, you know, six weeks worth of training. Right. And I wish I could sit here and say that, you know, having that, not getting that six weeks, you know, would make a difference. But in reality, it's not that way. No. Um, consider it, you're right in the sense that you said home is nine and zero. you said, and she's only had two UFC fights. The first one was against Raquel Pennington, and she won that fight via split decision. And although Pennington has looked a bit better lately, you know that was a she was a massive favorite in that fight and she barely won. Um, her last fight in July she fought Marion Renault. Mm-hmm. and she looked better in that fight, but she still didn't look dominant. She didn't you know, look
1: top ten to me still. You know, she looked no, like somebody entering the top ten.
2: If she's in the top ten, it's, you know, the back half of the right. top ten. Sure. And considering everything we've seen from Rousey, how she steamrolled women who I don't think there are any any doubt that the peop pe- the women who have challenged Rousey lately, maybe with the exception of Betch Koheya, but you know, the other there are her other challengers of late, I think most people would agree are better than home is. Yes. Uh, you know, I don't think anybody would pick home over, say, Kat Zingano, for example. Right.
1: I would much so, rather see a Kat Kanzano rematch, even though she, you know, got dropped on her head in, in 15 seconds. Yeah,
2: you know, you're right. It's, I mean, and, you know, to be honest, Misha Tate deserves another title mm-hmm. shot as far as just the players in the game. She'll probably get it, you know. And she probably will, but the UFC just didn't want, want didn't want to run that back, you know, another time. We've seen it. Yeah. So, multiple times well, so
1: yeah th- this is the issue that we have here with the with this fight okay misha tate already lost twice kat zingano ran through amanda new nu- uh is it Nunes or noon's Madina Nunez, yeah. Nunez, um, she lost to Cat Gonzano, if I'm correct. Am I am I right there? And yeah, and, I
2: mean, Nunez actually looked pretty good in that fight. She but did. No, I
1: don't won that fight, right? And then we have a, a bunch of um, you know, some placeholders: Sarah Kaufman, Sarah McMahon, who got, I think, kidney punch knocked out by uh, yeah. Ronda Rousey. And then uh, Ronda Rousey. Then we have uh, Holly Holm and Betch Koheya, who got dropped from uh, number one contender all the way to eight. That's you know, so the, and then Liz Carmouche, who's. Uh, to me, the one person who actually came the closest to finishing Ronda Rousey in her UFC career, and and she's had a, like a rough patch since that fight, and now she's down to tenth. So there really just isn't any interesting fights until we get to uh, Cyborg. I think I still think Cat Gonzano in a rematch would be the most in- interesting of the you know current UFC fighters, and I also think that Misha Tate deserves a lot more credit than she was originally given given the fact that she took uh ronda rousey into the third round and she's the only ufc fighter to do so so but that's where we are we're just sitting here with an empty division and now we're so we, we have to sort of question ourselves as to whether or not um ronda rousey is you know absolutely just the most dominant f- female or male fighter we've ever seen or if the rest of the division is really just that bad The only other, I guess, person who probably could be next up is Juliana Pena, you know, who I I don't really think that for, you know, for all the skills and, uh, you know, nice performance she's put on, I don't think she's any more skilled than Misha Tate. Misha Tate um, trained her. Yeah, uh, coming up in the same camp together. So this is the issue that we have. We're sort of forced to push Holly Holm into this fight because she's undefeated and she has that boxing pedigree, which is supposed to match up, um, you know, well with you know Ronda Rousey's supposed weakness, which isn't even a weakness anymore. So here we are, minus 1,900, almost minus 2K. Anybody who's playing on DraftKings, you really just reasonably can't, um, you know, expect anybody to roster Holly, Holly Holm. Are, are are you with me on that?
2: Yeah, um, I just I don't see the point. I don't I don't see I don't see how she can win.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't see you how know, she can win either. I've
2: said before the only way you can really beat Rousey is if you catch her with one punch and knock her out, which can mm-hmm. happen to
1: anyone. She's has she's shown a good chin. That's yeah, the other she, problem I, too. She doesn't hit much, but her chin's right. been
2: fine when we have seen her get hit. Right, and you know the odds of not just home but mm-hmm. anyone. Beating Rousey or outscoring her, so to say, over 25 minutes is, you know, next to none. It's just not going to happen.
1: The one thing I will say, just in Holly Holm's favor, and this is the only two things she can sort of hang her hat on, is that her takedown defense has been very good in her UFC fights. She's shown. Uh, she knows that her weakness is on the ground, and the one thing that she has to do above everything else is stuff any takedown anytime that anybody comes remotely close to to performing one. And she's very cautious when she does engage because she knows she doesn't want to get too close to a, to a, put herself in a position to get swept or takedown in the clinch or up against the cage or anything else like that. So she's done a good job using her boxing skills and moving. Having said that, she hasn't been a very exciting fighter in the UFC overall. And you know we've, like we said, questionable first win, which I thought could have actually went to Raquel pennington it it definitely could have yeah and so here we are we're we're forced into the hype train because the fans demanded that holly Holm make her way into the ufc and lo and behold she's sort of we sort of thought what we thought might actually happen is that these promotions that she was fighting and leading up to the ufc were not like they're not even bellator level or you know um world series of fighting level it's below that she was like you know single a if if we can you know sort of draw a you know baseball analysis to that so
2: What this is and what it's going to be or as you know, whenever Rousey fights until until hopefully there's a cyborg fight at one point, this is just the UFC banking on Rousey's mainstream appeal to carry a card.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And she's We're going just... to. And you know what? Whether, whether or not, no matter who she's fighting, it's always just must-see TV because I want to see how quick is she going to finish her and how devastating is it going to be. Like as long as – we know Betch Gohea touched herself into like a, a fight and some people are like, oh, well, maybe, you know, maybe this girl, you know, she's been looking pretty impressive knocking some people out. And then Betch, you know, got her lights turned out in 30 seconds. That's also equally entertaining for, for the people as well. So oh, it's,
2: it's entertaining to watch. I right? mean I don't know if it's entertaining – if, you know, you spend $65 and right. it lasts, you know, what, 12 seconds or whatever the heck yeah. it was.
1: You just need the rest of the card to hold up on its that's own, too. That, that's
2: okay. basically it. And that's why there are two title fights on this card.
1: And, and speaking of title fights, we might as well get into the co-main event here, the Women's Strawweight Championship. Here, This would be interesting. Let me, let me just pose this question to you, and then you could tell me just, like, you know, quickly, yes or no. Can uh, uh, Joanna Jacek... Step up in weight and actually be a contender for for Ronda Rousey because she fights and mauls like in a similar manner. Maybe she doesn't have the body size or the frame to do so, but th- th- this is also another situation too. Where if I think she runs through uh, Laterno and you know maybe Namajunas or Van Zant, th- the rest of the division doesn't look too pretty for her, and she might be in a similar situation to Rousey. So, is there any chance that she steps up in weight?
2: I guess it, you know. I guess it could. Ha- I put it this way. I wouldn't say it's impossible.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, if there's, you know, some point down the line, I wouldn't say it's impossible, but what's getting, what's getting overlooked at a lot is the women's weight division is actually, it's actually fairly deep. You know, th- th- I, there are a lot of, I think there are a lot more threats in the strawweight division than there are in the bantamweight division. There
1: is for sure. I would definitely grant you that. My only question is, I mean, like, if we go, you know, one to one to fifteen, it's hands down a better division than the than the division for sure. The only question is, is when you have somebody sitting like Carla Sparsa sitting number two overall, and then Jessica Penne who's already gotten beat, and you know, you have to question as to whether or not Joanna's going to empty out uh, the division herself, or if one of these these fighters are actually going to you know answer the belt. And we haven't got to that point too with uh, uh Jacek, but she has been fairly dominant thus far which so i'm just wondering if you know i don't if if there can if that can actually happen i don't know if it can
2: well if you look at the bantamweight division with rousey you mentioned juliana peña but even that's more a down the line fight no that's not happening anytime
1: soon right there'll be like three fights down the line probably yeah
2: and we don't know we still don't know the deal with cyborg and you know if she can make the weight or not Mm -hmm. so when you look at the bantamweight prospects it's you know slim to none but then if you look at, you know, the top 15 in the strawweight division, obviously, assuming yeah, Joanna wins this fight, you know, the next fight is going to be the rematch with uh, Claudia Gadea. But then you have, you know, you have Rose Namajunas, you have Tisha Torres, you have Paige Van Zandt. Right. You have compelling fights down the road in the strawweight division. That okay. just isn't there in the bantamweight division. An,
1: it really isn't. You really, you don't, nobody feels like anyone has a chance and Misha Tate was the best of the group. I still think Kat Zingano, if she doesn't go stupid with the strategy, could have been a much more interesting fight than it was. And nobody ever talks about that because you, she just got, you know, beat so quickly that they, they, she's sort of like, in just like Sarah Kaufman and, and Sarah, uh, Sarah McMahon, uh, you know, betch kohea territory. We're like, well, we don't know if we really want to give you a chance because you look so bad the first time, you know? So um, that's the situation that you have there. So let's go ahead and dig into this co-main event fight since we've, uh, you know, sort of posed some questions that are aside from that, just breaking down the drafting salaries here on your 11.3 uh, versus Letourneau, who's, uh, 8.1. And she's actually a bigger Vegas favorite than Ronda Rousey, believe it or not. So this is another one fight where we, we expected to be one sided, um, you know, minus 2150 for you, Laterno plus 1300. The only thing I can say from a MMA DFS standpoint here is it's going to be v- almost impossible to roster both in your DraftKings lineup if you're going to use uh, Joanna or Rousey. I think you have to choose between one of the two and which one would you would would, would you sort of lean towards?
2: You're really making me do this. Oh. <laughs> uh, well, all right. Well, let's put it this way: from a Vegas odds standpoint, okay. If I had a hundred dollars that I could just throw away and you said, "All right, you know, throw it on a long shot," mm-hmm. I would throw it on home before I would throw it on Latorno.
1: Okay, fair enough.
2: Uh, you know, it's Rousey. Rousey obviously wins all her fights and wins them all quickly, mm-hmm. but Joanna is just—it's a different level of violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's one of the most decorated strikers in the whole world, you know, men or women.
1: Right.
2: And, uh, you know, and Latorno who, you know, nobody's really buying, nobody's buying Latorno as a number one contender or anything. She
1: shouldn't, I don't even know why she has this fight to be honest with you.
2: It's because they wanted, they wanted Joanna on the card and Latorno was, you know, healthy for now. And, you know, Mm -hmm. she's had three UFC fights. She's won them all by decision. Latorno has. Yeah. And, She's got even though she's won, she's gotten beaten up pretty good. If you look at some of the you know post-fight photos, she's had some black eyes, and you know, she she's her face has been rearranged pretty good. Take that and multiply that by about a, a thousand as far as Joanna is concerned. And you know, I don't say this very often, but I would be a bit worried about latorno's health by the time this thing is over this is what
1: i'm saying joanna uh Jacek is so brutal with the way that she runs people with you know her just muay thai striking and um you know she like you said she comes from a great camp american top team and they they have been destroying people in in the ufc as of late we, we've we seen what robbie Lawler robbie lawler has been able to do um so this is the way i look at it joanna's gonna run through this and then maybe she gets a couple more fights, and then I wonder if she has the stones to step up and say, "Yeah, I want to fight Ronda Rousey in a, in a uh, you know catch weight or you know a I'll step up to uh, to bantamweight and see and see what I can do." Because she's been beating so many people in such a devastating manner, and if she runs through Rose or Van Zant, um, you know, and, and a couple of these here, and unless am I missing anybody here? I don't, I'm not going to count Carla Esparza. I don't think Spars should even be ranked second for one minute. That was like such a joke of the way that she got dominated. Um, yeah, there's really, I mean, those, I mean, Tisha Torres, I guess, is maybe deserves to be in that conversation. So if she runs to the rest of the division, then that's the only uh, only other fight that would be interesting. It's not even in her division, so we'll see how dominant she can be if she can work herself up to Ronda Rousey territory. Um, not much else to say in that. We, I think we're clearly in the you know the big time favorites it's, camp.
2: They're, they're they're both favorites, massive, gigantic favorites as they should be, and it, you know it's hard to see anything. Except you know, two dominant wins for both of them.
1: Right. You just need to decide which of the two that you want to use in your DraftKings lineup. And I think um, I'm going to lean toward Rousey because we we know she's just a like notorious first round finisher and the knockout. So you're going to get every bonus possible when using her. You probably get that with a uh, you uh, J check as well. But there's a chance maybe Letourneau somehow like survives the first round and, and you know and then you lose those extra points. It's, that you...
2: Yeah. It's you know if you're gonna if you're gonna take Rousey or Letourneau, Oh, I'm sorry, if you're going to pick between Rousey and Check, I mean, I guess I would probably, and look, as far as looking for a first round finish, I would probably take Rousey simply because of everything she's done in the past and how quickly she's finished the fights, right. but it's kind of a pick as far as you know, who deserves to be the bigger favorite,
1: right? You know, I, mean, I guess in some scenario too, if like you J dra- dragged it out to the third round and just brutally beat her with like, you know, Muay Thai striking for three rounds and racked up a ton of points. I think potentially she could actually score more points than a quick first round re- finish from Rousey just, you know, on, on striking volume. But I, I think I'm not going to really mess around with that. I'm just going to take Rousey and enjoy the fact that I get my first round finish. So, all right, we'll move on to he- uh, heavyweight here, John. Mark Hunt, 10-9-1 against Bigfoot Silva, 19-7. DraftKings has uh, Mark Hunt as the favorite at 10.5K. Silva coming in at 8,900. Vegas odds 265 for Hunt, plus 225 for Silva. Any chance that you're jumping on board with Silva in this matchup?
2: Um, it, You know, I I think this is a lot closer fights than both the odds and the DraftKings salaries indicate. Um, you know, it's two guys who are, you know, getting up there in age. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all saw their first fight that ended in, you know, the war that ended in a draw. Right. And, you know, this fight, I, I would, if I had to pick, I would pick, I'd probably pick Hunt to win. But I think this fight is close enough that, you know, as far as filling out my roster, I really wouldn't have a problem with anybody who wants to put silver in their lineup. Um, this is one of those fights that I think could really go either way.
1: Yeah. I
2: don't think there's really any anything that would give either guy, at this point in their career at least, you know, a serious edge over the other one. Mm-hmm. So I think this is a close fight that could go either way, and, you know, when that happens... You know, I tend to take the guy who has the lower salary or is the underdog just because the payoff is bigger.
1: Yeah, I think I'm actually would rather roster Silva than um than Mark Hunt in this matchup too. Just and I I agree with you with the Vegas odds sort of not giving enough credit to as close as this matchup too. You look at the, at the stats aside from the, the 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 tail of the tape which I'm going to save for last. strike landed per minute for for Hunt three point two four to two point nine for Silva. They both are um just ob- above forty three uh, percent accuracy uh, in terms of striking accuracy, 43 for hunt, 45 for Bigfoot Silva. And uh, they're both guys that don't do much, uh, grappling. The average under one takedown per, per 15 minutes or per three round fight. And, you know, uh, hunt has better takedown actually at 55% to Silva's 32%, but that's neither of their games. uh,
2: No, really. So this is going to be a striking fight.
1: It is going to be a striking war. They're both. These are going to stand up and slug it out. And, if you feel like it is close enough and you can tell by some of the losses that hunt has racked up and, you know, I think lost three out of the last five in one draw. He hasn't necessarily performed too well himself. So it's a little bit curious to me that he is a big of a favorite as he is. So
2: I think, I think I was sorry. I think he's the favorite. Obviously I think he's a bigger favorite because the fights in Australia.
1: Okay. Well, that's, that makes some sense. Um, if you want to go by the tail of the tape though, I mean, uh, Bigfoot Silva with a much, um, uh, you know, bigger reach, eight inch reach, he's six foot four to, to hunts five ten. So if you felt like he was a like had a significant amount of striking skill, and I don't really know that he you put him as like one of the most skilled strikers in the heavyweight division, then you feel more comfortable with him being able, able to exploit exploit his height and reach. But he really doesn't do that. He leaves himself. He stands uh, in in front of enough fighters to take a a good amount of punishment himself, which is why you've seen him take losses to like Mir and Arlowski, uh you know, recently. So if I have to take one side of it, I I would be, um, I guess I, f- I feel like Hunt is still you know the slight favorite, but I, for value in DraftKings, uh, I would feel comfortable with Silva stepping down. That's to what I would. 90.
2: That's what I would say. I would probably if you know if it was just a trade up. Who do you think will win? Mm-hmm. I would probably take Hunt. Right. But if I had to pick one for my lineup, I would probably take Silva.
1: I'm taking Silva there as well. All right, moving on to middleweight, we have Uriah Hall, one of my favorite fighters, 13 and five uh, overall in MMA versus Robert Whitaker, 14 and four. DraftKings salaries are fairly even, and this is sort of a coin toss here, John. Hall um, Price at 9800 on DraftKings. Whitaker at 9600. Vegas odds have Hall as a slight favorite, minus 125, with Whitaker at plus 105. So, how do you see this fight breaking down? This,
2: this, this was originally for those who don't know. This was originally supposed to be uh, Whitaker and Michael Bisbing, mm-hmm. and Bisbing got hurt, and Hall stepped in on extremely short notice and took the fight. Um, this is a really, really good fight, probably. I think this is probably the fight on the card that I'm looking forward to uh, more than any other. Um, This is these are two guys, Whitaker and Hall, who have been notorious. Hall, especially, have been notoriously inconsistent in their career. And Hall smartly is coming. You know, he he's coming off two two back-to-back wins, and um, at the end of September, he knocked out uh, Gegard Mousasi. Um, for the biggest win of his career, he was a fairly big underdog in that fight, and he took that fight on short notice as well. And um, he he finished that fight, and you know it's the old saying, you know, strike while the iron is hot. And you know Hall's been on a roll, so he he decided to take this fight. And I I actually like Whitaker. Um, I've long been a Whitaker fan. I th- I thought he was better than, you know, his performance indicated. His performances indicated. Um, He spent most of his career at welterweight, and uh, two fights ago, he moved up to middleweight. And since then, he has back-to-back knockout wins. And this is a tough fight to pick because this is more along the lines of... Hall has more of the one-punch-finish-the-fight kind of knockout power, while Whitaker is more of... You know, a combination and flurry type of guy. You know, aggressiveness, stay on you. But this is definitely a fight between two guys who like to strike and, you know, don't do much else. And, you know, the odds are, you know, the Vegas odds are extremely close. Um, You know, the DraftKings salaries are almost identical. So this is another one um, that could go either way. But I like Whitaker in this fight. He's younger. I think he has more and that we haven't seen in terms of ceiling. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I say this a lot, but I, I always take into consideration um, I like when a guy doesn't have to travel around the entire world to get to the arena.
1: Yeah, yeah home you field know, advantage, so I, to speak. I
2: across the entire world to get to the arena, and I, I think that does make a difference.
1: Yeah, and we saw that in the Cain the Velasquez fight there as well. Um, so, yeah, home cage advantage, so to speak, for, for Robert Whitaker. I actually just love... Uh, uriah hall's town i think he's an exciting fighter and you know like you said up-and-comer has some has some big wins Is sort of like you know right there on the cusp of really um breaking to tier breaking into some top tier fights if he can put some some wins together um so th- this to me uh, is could be and maybe you get your take on this like who becomes the placeholder in the division, one of them is going to advance and start you know, really making some noise in the division, and the other one is going to have to be could be on the outside looking in if they if they take a loss. You you feel feel like that's a fair assessment?
2: I think it's just I, I do, but I think it's that's more true more so for Hall, right? Because even if Whitaker loses, the guy's still only twenty four years old, which you know he's it seems like he's been around a while, but you know he's still very young. Hall's getting up there, you know, so. Hall is um Hall's you know thirty one already. So while he's another guy who while he's not that old, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> sorry about that. Hey, last time it was me. This time it was
1: you. That was my alarm to originally call you on Skype for this show that we recorded an hour early to make yes, sure I wasn't sleeping. It, we did. So we
2: moved, up, we moved it up an hour, right? Okay, so there oh. there you have that. Sorry
1: about that. But oh, yeah, no. you, you're right. Your right hall is 31 and these guys are both on the cusp of breaking into the top 10. I'm just looking at the middleweight division here and you see guys that are just like you can run through the up to, to the top of the division and get into the like Vitor Belfort, Yoel Romero um territory pretty quickly with a win here. Is is what I'm looking at. You got Talis Latus, you know, hall ranked 10, Talis Latus 9, Musasi 8, Bisping, Kennedy, Lyoto Machito who keeps getting beat right and left. And then you're right there, Vito Belfort, Romero, uh, Jacare, and Rockhold with Weidman. So in a, in like in a three-fight span, if somebody caught some heat here and, and got hot, you could be you know making a case for the to be one of the top two or three contenders in the division. So I, I agree with you. It's definitely a much more important fight for Uriah Hall. And I do like the fact that he's an exciting fighter. But the, for all the excitement and the striking that you, we get from Uriah Hall, we've been getting more of that on a just, um, you know, I guess, fight metric basis. For, from whitaker uh 3.21 strikes per landed per minute for hall versus 4.83 for whitaker um hall is definitely the more accurate striker and you just get more volume out of whitaker 30 percent 7 accuracy for whitaker versus 54 for uriah hall and hall has shown a bigger propensity to be a grappler 1.37 takedowns per fight to 0.66 but um uh, Whitaker has more takedown accuracy and is the better um in terms of takedown defense. Ninety one percent takedown defense versus Uriah Halls, uh 73%. Neither one are really like guys who want to pull out submissions uh in that not just just not part of their game.
2: Nah, this this is this is a striking battle, and it's what I said before, it's I think Hall has more of, you know, the one punch, one kick fight ending ability, while Whitaker is more of the um you know, combination and pressure and flurry type guy. Yeah. So it's a good, it's a good fight and it's a close fight. And this fight, I I think that can go either way, but uh, I like, uh, I like Whitaker.
1: Okay, I, and I'm with you too. I'm just going to, because this fight is so close and they're the mirror images over each other, like, you know, 6 feet, 185, you could, do have a, a significant reach advantage from eye Hall from 79 to 73, but that's never stopped Whitaker from getting in the mix and throwing a ton of hands. So I'm going to trust the volume, and he's almost at five strikes landed per minute versus Uri Hall just, just above three. And if you have to go on volume and trust the numbers for DraftKings, I'm going to side for Whitaker, which, you know, in, according to Vegas and the salaries is a bit of a coin toss matchup. All right, moving on to heavyweight here, John. Stefan Struve, the skyscraper here. One of my favorite fighters going up against the big show, Jared Roseholt. Do you feel like Jared Roseholt has earned that nickname, the big show? He sort of stole it from the WWE, I
2: guess. Yeah. I mean, as a fan of, you know, the original big show, I would say no. <laughs>
1: okay, I would say no, well, too, because he was pretty epic overall. No, yeah, he, he's still going, you know. I, I don't know if you watch wrestling, but he's, he's still kicking. I can't believe how many people, like, wrestle into their 50s and 60s. It's got to be, like like man there's there's just no retirement package for the wwe you know it's like get back well, out there if you, you want some money
2: you don't have to train every day like you do you know mma no, that's true that is true but it's still a pretty brutal sport yeah it is
1: all right so just taking a look at he- this here in in the matchup for stefan struve is one of my favorite fighters uh 9900 draft salary versus rose holt for 9500 so a little more of a coin toss situation again just like we had with holland whitaker stefan struve minus 130 versus rose holt at 110 how do you have this breaking down
2: well you know i think um you know just as much as any other fight on this card you know this is a clear fight between two guys who want to do different things uh you know rosehold is a wrestler you know he was a you know division one collegiate wrestler and you know his game is you know wrestling and takedowns right um you know he'll mix in some strikes you know simply because you know you have to be multi-dimensional you know to win in this sport but you know this is you know a guy who is you know the guy's a wrestler and you know that's all there is to it. That's that's what got him here. That's what's you know gonna you know hopefully for him you know move him forward. And Struve, on the other hand, as we all know, you know the guy's a kickboxer. Right. You know, he uh, he's you know the tallest tallest fighter in UFC history. Um, I believe his reach is tied with John Jones for the longest in the UFC. And, you know, when you're that tall and you're that long, similar to what Jones does when he's successful, you back up, you stand away from your opponent, you know, you throw tons of kicks and punches at him when you can hit where you can hit him and he can't hit you. Right. It's, you know, it's not very complicated. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have one guy in Struve who's going to try and, you know, make this a distance fight, you know, and a kickboxing match. And then you're going to have a guy in Russell who's going to try and turn it into a wrestling match. And, you know, Struve is, he doesn't wrestle a lot, but people just, you know, to no one's surprise, when you're trying to take down a guy who's seven foot tall, Mm
0: -hmm. you know,
2: it's not an easy thing to do. So, uh, you know, I think Struve's career takedown defense is about 70%, which is good, which is almost exactly the same as Rothschilds is. Mm -hmm. So when you take that into consideration and the fact that you know, he's fought better fighters and been in, you know, bigger fights. Uh, I like Struve in this fight, but again, just like the last couple, I think this is another close fight.
1: Yeah. So the way I'm looking at this here is, I mean, Vegas says it's close. DraftKings says it's close. The matchup itself, um, you know, is a, like you said, classic. Uh, you know, who can oppose each other's will on this? I, I like St- uh, Struve's takedown offense and, defense enough and his um his own personal takedown actually although he doesn't take try for too many takedowns to sort of i guess negate what rosehold's trying to do the other issue that i have too is that rosehold does have a hole in his game is that and that for some reason this gets to the ground and struve can find him find a hole um you know on the submission side he's averaging three submissions attempted per 15 minutes which is like three a fight basically then rosehold hasn't really shown any propensity to like you know Uh, be like sort of effective in terms of you you know Uh, watching out for submissions or protecting himself from that, so I think there's a hole that can either be exploited if he does, in fact, you know, get to the ground and he's not able to protect himself. So he needs to watch for that because people don't really think of Stefan Struve as a submission specialist, but he's out there attempting three per fight, uh, on top of the, the hands that he's trying to land. And speaking of the hands, he's, like you said, a much more, uh, you know, volume and and uh, and just equally as a as a, an effective striker as opposed to Rose Hole who doesn't want to mix it up too much. Just 2.22 two strikes land per minute for Jared Roseholt versus 3.59. So a lot more volume accuracy is about the same for striking 49 to 52% for Struve to Roseholt. But you take a look at um, the other issue that you have with Struve is he absorbs a lot of shots. If he is in a trading situation, I think he's sort of lucky that Roseholt doesn't necessarily want to trade a ton with him. So um, but he ends up absorbing more strikes than almost anyone in the UFC um, uh, per minute at 3.96. So you know for all the striking he does, he's willing to absorb the the punishment um, uh, back and forth. So I have Struve in this fight, and I think it's, he's definitely reasonably priced. You could probably fit him into your lineup at 9900 if you you know take a guy like we said in Silva and save some some cash at 8900 in your lineup and uh, you're probably gonna have to get you know mix in what uh, two to two and a half underdogs were one coin flip guy and um you know struve is not going to be the guy that i sort of flip down um or or go against in this matchup i think he's just a, a more overall skilled fighter and might be a little bit too much for rosehold at this point all right, on to the other bouts. We have covered the main card, so we're going to go lightning round here, John. Wrap up the rest of the fights on the card that you have broken down. You have your picks, and we'll get your quick hot takes on the rest of the matchups here for UFC 193. We've got lightweight division, Jake Matthews, 9-1, and versus Akbar Ariola, And, um, yep, that is his last name, Ariola.
2: It's so good.
1: <laughs> yeah. Matthews at 11K, Ariola at 8,300. Who do you got?
2: Um I like Matthews um I know he's a big favorite um fighting you know in his native Australia. Um Matthews is still just 21 years old. He lost his last fight to James Vick, his first professional loss. Vick is extremely underrated by the way. And uh you know Matthews at 21 is you know still one of the better um better prospects in the lightweight division and you know, to be honest, for the UFC lately has been doing a pretty good job of making you know the main fight on their undercard a pretty you know a pretty good one. And to be honest, this isn't a very good one. Um, Matthews, while he he's good, Ariel isn't particularly good. So I I don't really think this fight is all that close. I, I'm all over Matthews here.
1: All right, fair enough, uh, and I think this is just sort of a, you know, a, a lock play, but you probably won't be a play that's in my lineup because you really only can spend 11k on one guy, and that's gonna be uh, or a girl, and that's gonna be Rousey for me. Uh, moving on to welterweight, an oldie but a goodie, and I think he's probably on the card because he, this is in Australia. Uh, Kyle Noak who made his debut for I think Chuck Liddell on the Ultimate Fighter way back in 1904 uh, versus Peter Sabata. Uh, 15, four and one noke a uh, little bit of a favorite here at 9200 salary sabata uh, 10.2 uh, oh sorry it's a, he's an underdog Um, at plus 145 9200 for noke versus a uh, sabata salary at 10.2 who do you got
2: um like you said noke's been around since you know whatever it was before the UFC was started <laughs> and um, 1100 BC. Uh, you know noke even though he's getting older Obviously, not that that's any big secret. He's, you know, 35. He's still, you know, he's still been competitive. It's not like he's getting blown out or anything. Um, you know, remember his uh, fight, you know, against Patrick Coté, uh last year after they coached uh, tough against each other. He lost, but, you know, it was a close competitive fight. But, you know, you know, I still like Sabata. I I don't really think, you know... Sabata's really, you know, a stud or anything, but, you know, he's been impressive, won his last two fights, and while Noak, you know, if Noak wins this fight, what's gonna, you know, propel him to the victory is the fact that, you know, he's fighting, and, you know, he's gonna have a major, you know, hometown advantage, native of Australia, outside of, you know, you know, someone like Rousey, and, you know, maybe Mark Hunt, Noke is probably going to might get the biggest ovation on the card. You know, the guy is absolutely loved in Australia. Yeah. So, again, wouldn't shock me if he won. But I think he's a clear underdog.
1: Yeah, I agree with you there as well. So, if you feel like gambling, um, I'm probably going to pick a better spot than Noke. But um, you know, not it isn't so crazy in terms of you know the Vegas odds where you're really stepping out there. I just want somebody probably in the eight k range so I can feel comfortable about taking some of the you know 95 to 99 hundreds like we talked about like the Stefan Shrews and so you need to sometimes save a little bit more than you are with yeah, with No at 9200. one
2: of those fights I would just stay away from altogether it's just you know one of those middling fights where I mean if you're comfortable and you're looking for an underdog maybe slip Noke in there but I don't think Sabata Sabata's all you know good enough to say oh well you know He's a clear favorite. I'll put him in. I would probably just avoid it if I could.
1: Okay, fair enough. And we can, definitely can do that since we only need five fighters. We'll move on to light heavyweight here. And uh, Anthony Perroche 15-8 and 8 versus Gian Vellante, 13-5. and DraftKings salaries, 8,500 for Perroche, Vellante at 10.9. So big favorite there. Minus 365 for Vellante. Perroche at plus 305. Who's your pick?
2: Um. Well, for those of you who don't know, John Vellante pretty much lives around the corner from me. Um... And this is pretty much it for him. The guy has all the talent, the kid has all the talent in the world, and his biggest problem as it has been throughout his entire career is that he gasses out extremely quickly. He almost always dominates the first round, and after the first round he usually gets dominated because he just, he has no gas tank. And despite the fact he struggled with conditioning in the past, um, I think I'm picking him, and, you know, I think he, he has to win this fight, and he knows he has to win this fight. Peroche is 43 years old, and, you know, to be perfectly honest with you, probably is on the verge of retirement, pretty much. Yeah. And although Piroche is going to have the advantage of fighting in his, you know, native Australia, Volante is one of the most gifted pure athletes In the UFC, you know, he was an All-American wrestler. He was an All-American football player. He, you know, got looks in NFL training camps. The kid's just a great athlete. And the confusing thing about Volante, besides his gas tank, has always been the kid is a great wrestler and he never wrestles. Right. Um, You look at his his takedown defense is insane. It's about 90%. You know, the kid's a good wrestler. Always has been. And, you know, this is just one of those instances where i think he realizes you know this is when he entered the ufc he was you know a top light heavyweight prospect and it's just been you know fits and starts you know he just can't seem to get on a roll but i mean this is it for him this is a fight he clearly has to win and i he's he's my pick and i'm a little nervous about it because he's such a big favorite but he's just such a better athlete and so much younger that if his if he can get his gas tank issues under control, I don't see how he loses.
1: Yeah, right, fair enough. I think it's a, a fair assessment uh, overall. And you know, when you get a salary guy for that's at eighty five hundred, generally you're sort of like uh, you know, hoping his one trick pony style is, is sort of going to pay off for him because otherwise, this fight could end up pretty quickly and in favor of Volante. So I'm I'm with you on the pick on the Volante pick. Moving on to flyweight, we got uh, Richie. Uh, but Sulik, I believe, at ten and four versus Danny Martinez, seventeen and seven. DraftKings salaries at ninety seven hundred for sulik versus Martinez at ninety seven hundred. So absolute coin flick, even odds, both minus one ten. Who do you got?
2: Um, I like Martinez. Um, Martinez uh, in his last fight um, took it on short ner- notice against Serwin Kakai, who's actually pretty good. Um, Martinez is zero and four. Um, during his short UFC, WEC career, but I think Richie Bass is just, you know, uh, really just a, you know, bottom-of-the-barrel flyweight fighter. And again, it seems, as was saying this a lot, a lot of these Australian fighters are, you know, underdogs as far as the odds and salaries go. But then you think, you know, they're going to get a bit of a bump because, you know, they're playing in their native, they're fighting in their native Australia. So this is another fight that, you know, theoretically could go either way. I just think Martinez is, you know, a better-rounded fighter, and you know, neither they, both these guys are decent wrestlers, and both of them have lousy takedown defense. So you know, the big difference for me is Richie Vass tends to get hit more than Martinez does. And while Martinez doesn't have big knockout power, I just think the amount of damage that Richie tends to face is swinging, swaying me in Martinez's direction.
1: All right, I think that's that. That, that that's fair, and it's an absolute coin flip um, in in that situation. So I would sort of, when you get these situations here, unless you have like intimate knowledge about one of these two fighters, like you do, John, but I don't. I'm going to do what. Um, a lot of people would do is just stay away from that fight and and you know pick one side feel feel good about an underdog that you're going to book with or you know and get a cost saving because 9700 just puts you in the middle you're you're not paying a ton but you're also not saving enough to sort of roll some of the bigger favorites in your lineup so it puts you in a tough position unless you really feel strongly about one guy or the other, on DraftKings. Uh, moving on to middleweight here, Daniel Kelly nine and one in his career in the UFC versus Steve Montgomery eight three and zero Kelly at nine K here Montgomery a uh, much bigger favorite ten point three K uh Vegas odds for Kelly at +210 versus Montgomery versus um at sitting over at -250 your pick here.
2: Um my pick is Montgomery and you know you have to keep in mind Daniel Kelly is a was a four-time Olympian in judo for Australia and you know he's one of the most decorated judo competitors of all time but he just he doesn't have much MMA experience you said 9 and 1 so he has 10 pro fights and he's 38 years old so you know he's certainly on you know what would be considered you know the back end of his career and you know Montgomery is Montgomery's kind of a sneaky fighter he you know he is only 24 you know continues to get better trains with America top team which is obviously a great team And he has a pretty well-rounded game. You know, I think while Kelly has, you know, the judo skills to be successful, I'm just not confident about the rest of his game. And Montgomery has youth and an elite team on his side. And when you take that into consideration, uh, he's my pick.
1: All right, fair enough. Uh, it makes plenty of sense to me, and I don't really know. I haven't seen enough fights for these guys to really you know, interject my own opinion. So I will move on to the welterweight division where we have Richard Walsh at 8-4 and four versus Steve Kennedy, who has a ton of fights in his belt, a lot of experience, 22-7. and DraftKings salaries have Walsh at 10.8 versus Kennedy, uh, the veteran, at 8,600. Walsh minus 325 versus Kennedy at plus 265. So they're liking the young guy here versus the the vet. And uh, are, are you with that pick uh, with Vegas?
2: Uh, I am. I'm taking Walsh in this fight. Um, you know, there's always a group of guys that you watch fight and you say, you know, the guy doesn't get a lot, you know, the guy doesn't get a lot of notoriety. But you, you, you watch the guy fight and you say, well, you know, that guy's a pretty good fighter. And Richard Walsh is one of those fighters for me. He's just tough. You know, he's gritty. He's a good wrestler, um, you know, he, his, he only has one submission win, but his submission skills are better than that would indicate, and he, you know, he's a guy who, another guy who relies on, relies on pressure, and, you know, combos, and, you know, throwing a lot and landing a lot, and when you combine that with the fact he's a really good wrestler, um, and then you also had the fact that he's younger and he's fighting in you know, his native Australia, and um, I think they got the odds right on this one.
1: All right, fair enough. That makes plenty of sense for me. Uh, another guy with a home, I guess, cage advantage. Uh, Wilterweight uh, James um, um, Muntas, Muntasari? It's Muntasri. Uh, Muntasri. I practiced that and I still flubbed it. Uh, versus, all right.
2: I'm not picking him anyway, so you <laughs>
1: Okay, the guy who's going to lose, according to John, versus Anton Zafir at Uh, 7-1. DraftKings salaries for Montasri, 10.6, versus uh, Zafir at 8,800. So uh, it's going to be a fade, looks like, for John at Montasri, who's minus 280, versus Zafir at uh, plus 240. So going with the underdog here, saving some cash.
2: I am, and I am going to openly admit that I do not know much about Anton Zafir. I do know more about James Montasri and... What I've seen, I you know, I have not particularly liked. Um, you know, he doesn't wrestle much. He doesn't throw much. And while he doesn't get hit too much in terms of, you know, strike absorbed, his defense isn't particularly good. So, you know, this is one of those cases where, like you said, no matter what card you put together on DraftKings, You're going to have to take an underdog, you know, somewhere along the line. Right. And I just, from what I've seen of Muntasri, you know, I'm just not a fan. And I admit I don't know a ton about Zafir. But when you look at the rest of the card, this, at least to me, looked like the one fight where it might be a good idea to, you know, take the underdog and try and get, you know, try and get the value play here. Because a lot of guys, a lot of as far as the rest of the card, I don't like a lot of the other guys who are underdogs, so I, I think this is one where it's not a bad idea.
1: All right. Uh, f- f- fair enough. Uh, I think Zafir makes a, uh, a good amount of sense there. And if you're going to take a, a flyer on a guy, I prefer one of the younger up and comer guys, who's who like Zafir, who only has eight fights on his belt, versus trying to get somebody like a veteran to grind out, like Steve well, Kennedy. And or, the other problem
2: is, you know, guys who are veterans, you know, you've you've an older, you you know, you've yeah. seen them fight, and you know what they do, and oh. it's just unlikely. That a veteran is going to be able to add, you know, more new
1: tricks in between fights. Right. Know? Yeah. It's like a Kyle Nook who's had a million right. Different fights. Nook's
2: right. Kyle Nook's not going to show us anything on Saturday that we haven't seen in, you know, 60 Kyle Noke fights before.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the other thing, too. Just the tread and the wear and tear is not in favor of the older fighters. Oh, no. yeah. So. That's,
2: that's exactly it. You just, you know, it's just it's health and, you know youth and all that taken into consideration.
1: Yeah, it's just a sliding scale in terms of age and fights booked under you when you're in the UFC. So just like a little sneaky tip between uh, you, John, and myself, all you listeners out there, if you know you need to step out against somebody, you probably don't want the... Gritty, forty-seven fight veteran, um, as your underdog pick. Last fight on the card here to talk about here: Ben Wen at thirteen and five versus Ryan Benoit at eight and three. DraftKings salaries for Wen at ten K, Benoit at ninety-four hundred. Uh, fairly close fight, into, according to Vegas, minus one forty-five versus Benoit at plus one twenty-five. Your pick here?
2: um I like Wen. You know, born in South Dakota, fights out of Brisbane, Australia, and he made his UFC de- uh, UFC debut in May. Uh, quickly knocked out um, Aptin Oskilic, who you know, was actually a, a decent fighter, you know, has fought better competition. But, you know, Win showed some real skills in that fight. Um, aggressive, you know, relies on his hands, you know, tough. And, you know, Ryman Wads, you know, was another decent fighter. He defeated Sergio Pettis in his last fight, in a fight in which he was a heavy underdog. But Wynn is just win has one of those underrated all around games. You know his defense is good, he's active, um, his takedown defense is also solid. So it's one of those cases where I think just you know the sum of the parts it you know gives win more chances to win than Benoit. But again, it's one of the, like the odds say it's another one of those close fights.
1: Okay, fair enough. And the the way I'm looking at this here is, um, when you get down to this bottom part of the card, I've already had my like DraftKings lineup sort of sorted out. So unless you're, you know, a family member of Team Wen or Benoit, I'm probably not going to coin flip in this yeah, spot. Unless
2: you're right. Unless you have some kind of you know clear, comfortable information right. that makes you think <laughs> some guy in the first fight pass card yeah. is clearly a better option than, you know, someone else on the card. Yeah. It's probably better off to just, you know, stay away from it altogether. I mean, you take a fight like, you know, the Parosh and Volante fight, for example, and while, you know, it's not on, you know, the main card or anything, you know you, you know what you're going to get from Parosh and Volante these days. You know what I mean? It's just guys who you've seen a lot of and you know their games and as opposed to guys who haven't had many fights and you're not sure who you know who you want to put your money on
1: yeah so uh, the, you know my sort of like uh mantra when it comes to this is fade fight pass for the most part cuz it's on fight pass for a reason and most people haven't seen enough of these fights to really honestly know where which side of of the um you know I guess you know fight you should be I, on I
2: wish they kept track of that as far as how much like how many
1: lineups actually have fight pass fighters in there right yeah. like
2: you know how many you know how what percentage of lineups so to say are you know main card fighters you know what i'm saying or
1: that would be a great and some great information to find out i wonder if we could actually get that it would be what uh, i wonder if DraftKings kings would be willing to supply that information because that would make for like a good article breakdown it would so, and then we would make our show better by the way too so we'd be just like here's here's the list of fighters that we we're, won't. we're
2: always we're always looking to make our show better
1: absolutely. Well, thanks for everybody for listening. <laughs> Don't forget to follow John Litterine on Twitter. He's covering all the UFC fights that he can make it out to here on the East Coast. So, um, he's on Twitter at J-O-N Litterine. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Josh Hayes F-S. Make sure you subscribe to the Rotowire DFS podcast here. It's available on iTunes and Stitcher for your downloading and listening convenience. Share with your friends. Let them know that you, and, uh, leave us a review if you can. Let us know that you enjoy the show. Thanks as always to John Litterine for his expert MMA insight, and we'll, uh, see you next time for the next uh usc pay-per-view coming here in just a few weeks
2: not yeah coming up soon before you know it looking forward to it